Good morning, I'm Jayla Tay, and today marks the fourth episode of my podcast, Global Health Chronicles, Conversations from Around the World. Today we will be meeting with Sebastian, he's going to tell us his story. So let's get him on. This is Sebastian, he's going to tell us a little bit about his background. So you can start with the basics, your name, your age, your school, and also where you were born. Yeah, my name is Sebastian Blood. I'm 17, and I was born in the United States. I was born in Queens, New York, but... Um, I've got to grow up with the duality of Haitian culture and actually take trips to Haiti and see firsthand what it's like over there. So like, although, yeah, this is my like nationality, I feel like Haiti is so close to my second home. Like it is my second home. And I go to Cosby High School. Okay. So though you weren't born there, you said that you had a lot of time traveling and visiting. So can you describe how it was going up there or like even seeing it as a kid? I would say it was pretty, um, she would have to go on a big family trip there. So it wouldn't just be me and my like siblings. It would just be me, my cousins, my aunts, everything, because Haiti's not really such a safe place. So when we would go there, we would see what it's actually like. Like when you see online of how Haiti's like filled with poverty, although some of it's true, some of it's not, but for the most part, it is true. Like there are houses that are just with dust all over the floor, like with wood peeling from the walls. And then when you stop at a traffic light, there's like people running up to your car trying to make a living by you buying water off of them. Like they're selling water in bags in order to make a living to buy food for their kids. Like it's honestly terrifying, but it's also eye-opening to see how privileged I was to grow up in the United States. So could you describe the current state of healthcare in Haiti? I would say the current state of healthcare in Haiti is non-existent. I don't know if you've heard, but with the president being assassinated and it becoming gang-filled, the island has become like steadfast for everything. Like there's no, there's no economic prosperity anymore. There's no healthcare prosperity. There's no political prosperity anymore. So don't get me wrong, there's still doctors and nurses there and people trying to like further their education and there's hospitals, but it's so scarce. Like there's no, it's not even close to what you would see in the United States. Like even the worst part of the United States, that healthcare is 10 times better than what the current healthcare is in Haiti because there isn't a lot of like hospitals anymore because it's so gang filled. So it's like, it's unsafe to even walk on the street or drive to the hospital because it's so unsafe. Like you're safer ill in your own house then you are going to try and get help. But there are some doctors and nurses who are still making a difference. There's still some doctors and nurses that are making a difference and they're going over there. They're trying to help them as they can. But again, it's only like a small, small amount. So I would say there isn't really healthcare in Haiti, but there's definitely something. And I believe that over time, it will cascade into what we usually have. Okay, so can you touch and go into depth a little bit more about the challenges that many of the citizens face? I know you talked about a lot of gang um, affiliation and also with the, was it the governor or the president being assassinated? So can you just touch on how much the president being assassinated, how much that has changed Haiti? I would say that changed like the entire scope of Haiti because it's like, if the president himself 
somebody who's supposed to be most sacred in like society, any type of society, whether that's the United States, whether it's England, whether it's like Kenya or even Haiti, like the president is always supposed to be the most protected person on the island or on that country. So the fact that he was able to get assassinated shows that not only is it so bad politically in that state, but it's also like, if the president's not safe, I know for sure I'm not safe either. So the, the citizens are facing like intimidation every day. So it's like, let's say they would go to the bank to go deposit $200. The bank teller is probably most likely usually a gang member. And after you deposit it, they're going to call somebody. They're going to be like, oh, so-and-so just deposited like this much money. He probably has more at home. Go ahead and follow him home like right after he leaves the bank. So it's like you can't even trust anybody in Haiti. That's what it feels like. Although there's many good people, Haiti, don't get me wrong. When I'm speaking about Haiti's like gang-filled like affiliations, I'm not saying the entire island is filled with like gangs and gang violence. That's entirely wrong. There's still some sacred places that are still filled with culture and happiness. Like, and I wouldn't really say Port-au-Prince, but there's, there's, I know there's so many areas that are still filled with like prosperity and kindness and happiness and culture, like rich. But for those areas like that are really filled with violence, it's like you cannot even go to the grocery store anymore to get, to get anything without feeling unsafe. You can't even send your kids to school anymore without feeling unsafe. You can't go to the doctor's office. You can't do so many of these things. So, I mean, the challenges that these citizens have to face every day, it's very sad, but at the end of the day, I think that over time and with the grace of God, I think that Haiti will overcome it. Of course. Um, so, if we're speaking about the healthcare, we can use the past tense, of course, but when it was, you know, in its prime state, or even if it was still growing, how was it funded? Was it public? Was it private? Was it programs from out-of-country people? Like, how was it? Um, at first, it used to be private. Like, Haiti would be able to, to sustain itself, but I'm pretty sure in 2012, I believe, after like the tragic Haiti earthquake. And after that earthquake, I remember the United States like became flipped. Like everybody was freaking out. Like, oh my gosh, we have to help this country. Like <laughs> I have this vivid memory of me sitting on the couch cause it was on my birthday when the earthquake happened. So I remember sitting on the couch and I was watching TV because I was only allowed to watch TV on holidays back then. And I remember I was watching TV and I saw Beyonce singing a song singing halo hope for haiti so it was like i was like why are they like why is she even singing that and then after i asked my parents about it they were like oh there was an earthquake in haiti and after that earthquake the united states came in and other countries came in to kind of help haiti so that private healthcare became more public and it tried to help any way that it can because after the earthquake everything like all previous like systems were devastated like there was still some reserved but it's like everything that a lot of things that haiti built was gone and the people were gone the actual documents were gone the systems were gone so after that the united states and other countries came in to kind of help haiti help the citizens that were still hurt because even in our quote-unquote prime we didn't really have like the best hospitals that you would see here like you wouldn't see 
John Hopkins University like type of hospital or you would even see like Birmingham Hospital like even though like that's not even such a high class hospital you wouldn't see like top notch hospitals like that so i know that the united states and other countries like other rising countries came in Haiti and tried to help them help the citizens anywhere they can raise donations with the red cross so it was private and at in advance of the earthquake i'm pretty sure and then afterwards it became more public i definitely remember hearing about the earthquake um in 2012 i think it was and i remember it was like me and my family we were trying to figure out what we can help because even before the earthquake we knew that haiti was obviously on the up climb and it was trying to better itself by you know implementing different systems and trying whatever works for them but with the um earthquake afterwards kind of snowballed as if that has been like the downfall because it's hard it's very hard to rebuild something that you were once very proud of and even working on building to make it better so before um the earthquake or before just the assassination how was your country prioritizing healthcare was it preventative primary specialized was it very general like how was it i would say that it was a little bit of everything like although we weren't at the level of obviously not the united states we still had the same like approach of medicine like some of it would be preventative some of it would be primary and some of it would be specialized so it would just really vary on where you go but i know haiti like regardless of what time or what century you look at haiti the type of medicine that they practice although it's yes it's similar to the united states it's different in that the sense they use their culture in it so although haiti's like a free country it's united by its culture So let's say you have a cough or something or like you have a let's say I had a stomach ache and a fever in the United States my doctor would prescribe me with Tylenol and some other medications or antibiotics to make sure I'm clear of all like bacteria or infections that's what would happen in the United States but in Haiti before they would even prescribe any medications or do any of that the first thing that they would do was they would probably like My mom does it. She still does it to this day. She would just boil tea. She would put ginger, ginger cloves, like all these different like remedies because that's what they're used to in their culture and that would work for them and it would work for me too. So before they start putting on like medicine, they want to look holistically and they want to like look culturally on what they can do first. And then after that, then they start actually using medications and different like preventative care. But that's just to say for illnesses or issues that are not really too life threatening. So it's like if someone has a gunshot wound, they're not going to do anything like culturally, of course. They're obviously going to treat it like they would treat any type of care for that patient. Mm-hmm. But if it's something small or it's something that hasn't cascaded or it's like a precursor to something bigger, then yeah, they're probably going to they're probably going to use like cultural remedies that they've seen in their own childhood and I think that's what's really great about Haiti because the things that my mom does for me her mom did for her and her mom did for her and then her mom did for her so it really it goes back to our generational heritage and how we have a, as a country have used our own resources to better ourselves I love the fact that remedies was used especially because I know my parents have their own type of remedies I know people 
hear have some type of known thing that their mother did or their grandmother did and i just love how they're using that as their culture to bring people together to help heal people um my next question so besides I don't know if you want to do it as a present tense or past tense, but were there any cultural or economic differences that influence healthcare? Was there any like huge um, gaps in the healthcare if you were, you know, eco- economically different or culturally different? Economic, culturally speaking, I'm not really sure because I think the great thing about Haiti is, like I said before, it's very culturally although it's culturally diverse don't get me wrong no matter what they're still unified under one culture but i know there's many different cultures like you see online that haiti practices voodoo but a lot of haitians do not they they abstain from that lifestyle so i don't i don't want to speak on something that i'm not really too knowledgeable about like culturally so i don't really know about that one but economically i do know that it's definitely it's definitely a thing if you're in a higher class or more well-off internally, Haiti, if you're like an, if we're speaking internally for Haiti and you're more like high class well-off, you will obviously have better healthcare because you have access to better doctors, better nurses. You can have them come to your house exactly rather than you leaving your house, even if it's safe or not. It's just, no matter where you are in the world, I, I think it's the same that if you have more money, you're obviously gonna have more access to healthcare. And I think it's like vice versa. If you don't have as much money, if you're like on the street, like remember when I described when I stopped at the traffic lights and there were people running up to my cars, those people who don't really, who are making their living wages off of selling water or mangoes at a traffic stop, I don't think that is fair or that they even have access to healthcare as anyone else in the, like in Haiti at all. But externally, I would say that there are some economic factors, like not to get political or anything, but I remember reading this article and it was about, it was during the 2016 election and then something about Hillary Clinton got exposed and about how she allegedly stole money from her daughter, like around like millions of dollars that was meant from Haiti. Her daughter was going to donate it, but she used it for herself. She stole it. And that money would have, although it seems like, oh, what is like a million dollars going to do for a country that has like millions of people? It can go a long way. Like, although it wouldn't make a huge difference in the United States, it would make a huge difference in Haiti. And because of that, economic factors like that, where Haiti has historically been targeted and the victim of many, of many like interactions, I would say that it's faced the repercussions of unfair like policies and violence i would say so yeah i would say health i would say culturally i don't really know how that has influenced healthcare access but economically speaking it's very apparent how the different classes fit and how those different classes get different access to medicine for those who were you know living on the streets or trying to make their money by selling mangoes or apples um at traffic stoplights were there any programs to help those like them who were less fortunate and couldn't access any other health care um if you're looking at if you're looking at that from like an external viewpoint yes i think there's programs for anything in the world i think that if you searched up on google is there a program to help haiti it would go like there's obviously programs but i think with programs like that when you're externally speaking i think it's about 
how authentic it is. Like, is that money that you donate, is it going to actually make it to those people who are on the street? Or is it going to make it to the people who are middle class, who aren't well as well off as the high class, but they're not living on the street. So I don't really know how authentic those programs could be. But if we're looking at that from like an internal view from Haiti itself, I think the like another great thing about Haiti is its unification and its unity. Like, it's not that when I describe the different classes of Haiti, it's not, I would say what's different from that class system in the United States is in the United States, it's, it's very everybody for yourself. Like, don't get me wrong, everyone's still helping each other no matter what. They're still there for each other, but in Haiti, it's different. It's like, even at churches, like they're always raising money for each other and they're not ashamed to just get up there and say what their situation is. Like, so it's like, there are many internal programs, like whether that's just Haitians going on the street and just giving food, like making food themselves and just handing it out on the streets just because they want to feed people and not to get anything back. They're not feeding them like, oh, I'm going to feed you this and now you owe me a favor. It's never like that. What's good about Haiti is its community will always help itself. Although there's bad parts and there's gang violence and there's like gang affiliations, no matter what, there's a side of Haiti that's always going to uplift each other. Like I know my mom, I don't want to like air out her business, but I know that she didn't have too much growing up, but she lived with a family that also didn't have too much like growing up. There wasn't even like a lot of resources for their own kids, but they still took in my mom and her siblings because they knew like, these are kids on the street and I'm going to help in any way I can. So there's not really like a set program that you can use in Haiti. It's just first-hand experience like going out on the field yourself and doing it yourself whether that's equating to giving money giving food praying for them any type of way it's very in haiti it's very uplifting they're always going to uplift somebody and yeah i love the fact that no matter whose situation or if your situation's worse so there's no like comparing whose situation's worse because at the end of the day they're still trying to help each other no matter what and I think that shows the true light of what Haiti truly is. It's very culturally intertwined. It's always going to be trying to uplift one another. Whereas here, I feel like it's, like you said, it's very like, mm, you're on your own. It's kind of, it is what it is. For, yeah. oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, that was, that was, oh. a, anyways. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, my next question is, is are there any misconceptions about the healthcare system from Haiti that you would like to clear? I know there's kind of a lot going on now, so I'm not sure if there's a lot you can really clear. I don't, yeah, I was just about to say, I don't think there's like, if you were to like Google the status of Haiti, I don't think that you'd even see any articles on healthcare in Haiti because that's not what's really on the focal point. I think everybody's focusing on the political and social and economic aspects of it. So I don't really think there's any really misconceptions online about the healthcare in Haiti. But if there is, I can think of one that maybe people think that, like even when I describe the healthcare in Haiti, many people may think, oh, so there's nothing at all. No, there's not nothing at all. There's still access to healthcare there, but it's just not as much as it used to be. And it's not even, it's not anything compared to like the United States or Mexico or Canada or different like countries. 
So there's not really a lot of misconceptions besides the fact that some people may think that in Haiti, there's nothing there. There's little to nothing. There's no in the hospitals. Like if you if you were to get shot, God forbid, you wouldn't find a hospital or you wouldn't find a doctor or you wouldn't find a nurse or anything. No, it's never like that. You would find something to help you. It may not be that level of access that you would get at like Duke Hospital or like Columbia University's like medical hospital. No, it would never be at that level, but it's still could be something that will help you. And it's better than bleeding out on the street. Right. My last two questions revolve around the United States. So um, speaking of the United States healthcare, what are some key components you think that make it such a successful healthcare system? In the United States? Mm -hmm. Well, if I were to think it was successful, I would say that... Hmm, I don't even know, because... I would say that because I, if I'm really thinking about that question, I wouldn't really say that I think the United States has a successful healthcare system. I think it has a sick care system. And I, I, it's interesting because I wrote a research paper on that, on like the disparities in the healthcare field and how I feel like that in the United States, if you get hurt or you get sick, it's less about, oh, they're not really pointing fingers about who's going to treat you. It's about pointing fingers about who's going to pay. So I feel like in the United States, there are, don't get me wrong, there are successes with technology and medicine and different innovations and different pioneers and trailblazers in medicine. Like, do not get me wrong at all. And I'm grateful for it because I've seen firsthand myself how that has helped people like me, my siblings, my family, people across America. And I think there's definitely some major successes like the ability for because I know it's different here than in other countries, the ability for medical students to get hands-on experience before like they're actually certified medical students. And I think that, or even now, how you and I are in the health, the Governor's Health Science Academy of Virginia, how we're able to get hands-on experience in the healthcare field before we even like undergrads or even medical students. So I think that's very great to give us and give everyone else like a little taste of what it's going to be like. But I think if I do talk about its successes, I do also have to talk about its failures and its failure to actually adhere to its policy to help everybody. Because I feel like whether you're going to look at racial disparities in the healthcare field or you're going to look at economic disparities in the healthcare field, it's been generational, like it's been generational gaps that have fueled what we have today. Like I know in the 19th century or the 18th century with the Tuskegee experiments and how there were black men with syphilis and how they didn't treat them because they were simply black and how they let them like literally go insane and end up committing suicide or just losing all function in their body and going paralyzed and how that still felt today. So I'm not saying that, oh, they're doing the same thing today. No, that's obviously not true. But when you look at it like, oh, black athlete women are about 70% more likely to die from prenatal or natal complications, that really says a lot. And I think that it's going to take a while for the United States to actually gear up and fix those disparities and those gaps in the healthcare field. But I think that over time, that it will come to play. I definitely agree. I mean, it is something that I am wholeheartedly grateful for. But at the end of the day, I do know there's so many small 
but extremely noticeable tweaks that we can make. Those there's a lot of things where we can look and even with like data from past years, but like if you even talk about today, there's a lot of issues with black women going to hospitals or doctors and they're not being heard or they're being uh, misunderstood or, you know, even penalized for going because they think they might be like a hypochondriac or they're overreacting because they're seen as someone who might not know who they are and like it's almost if like they don't know what they're talking about and then that leads to you know higher deaths in black communities and also the fact that a lot of people feel like if you do get sick what am i supposed to do who who can i ask to help me pay because it's gonna be expensive it's not something where it's like in a different country where we are able to pay a little bit more here and then we get something free here so there's no like midway with that and of course there's obviously things that we can obviously be grateful for for insurance and the fact that we have such great programs such as the Virginia's Governor Health Science Center where I we get to go to you know VCU and see what things are there and we get to see what our future looks like but of course, there's still things that we need to fix. Yeah. So going back to the yeah. things that we really do need to focus on and make that the focus point, what are some suggestions that you think would make a huge difference on either healthcare providers or just the healthcare system that can really address these health inequities that we happen to see so often? I would say for the, for the United States, I think that healthcare providers can stop I know, like, I, I'm trying not to get too political, but I think that healthcare providers and government officials can stop with the colorblind ideology. Like, yes, I get it that, oh, I'm black. It's not going to be like the medicine you give me not going to be any different than you give to like a white counterpart. But at the same time, being colorblind dismisses a significant part of a person's identity and dismisses the real injustices that many people face as a result of race. Like, I know that in my own research paper, I wrote about how Black people are, like, so, like, 30 times more likely to develop, to develop diabetes, sickle cell anemia, hypertension, and COVID-19. And when you have all these illnesses and you couple them with your living state, because it's obvious that many Black, like, the majority of, the, of those living in poverty are black like we are the biggest demographic that are living in poverty so if we have the highest rates of illnesses and we have the highest rate of poverty how are we expected to get healthcare access to something if we don't have the money for it but we actually need it more than anybody else so i think that healthcare providers can start seeing stop being so colorblind to, at a point where it dismisses like who people really are and what they're actually facing because i think that after you see what people are living like, how they're living, it should not really be a factor on whether or not, oh, he can't afford this, that, the third, or she doesn't have the money to pay for this procedure, so let me go for a cheaper option that may be botched, that may she have to come back every seven years down the line to get a checkup, which would in turn increase her payment. So I think that acknowledging, okay, she may not be able to pay for it, but let's find a way, let's find whether it's going to be a pro bono surgery or you're raising the funds or you're trying to find it in like some some gimmicks or read in between the lines and find a way to help people i think that your economic status should never be a like a factor on whether or not you get a procedure or not like don't get me wrong if you don't have the money there's no reason you should be getting like a bbl 
but if you don't have the money, there's no reason you should be getting, like, you should not be getting an aortic, like, aneurysm repairment. That's life-threatening. So if I can't afford that, I don't think that you should not be able to do it. Like, yeah, I get it. It may not, like, it costs money. Don't get me wrong. I'm not dismissing the money and the time that actually goes into these procedures. But at the end of the day, a life is a life. So I think that healthcare providers in the United States can start seeing what people are actually living like and using that to determine, like, how they want to move forward. I definitely agree with you. It's hard to see women and men go to different countries just to get a procedure just because they know it might be cheaper there when they're risking their life on the back end because if it gets botched or if it gets messed up or if it has to be halfway done there and then you can do it real here because it's already halfway done it's hard because it's like it's expensive we know that we already know but at the end of the day if you truly need a procedure and a lot of people are turning you away or you can't afford it, it it's only going to get worse from there. And it's hard that a lot of people, yeah. especially now, are seeing the true meaning of how expensive and how time-consuming and how hard it is to get adequate healthcare because you might not be the richest or the most wealthy or have the connections or the resources. I'm trying yeah. to think if that was yeah. my last question. I think it might have been in my last question. It was great talking to you to hear your perspective. I know it was hard to, you know, make a time and also sit down and just chit-chat. But it was nice to hear your perspective on Haiti healthcare and also the fact that um, the United States healthcare itself. It was really nice to hear both perspectives and see and learn different aspects of both. Yeah, yeah. It was very insightful. I think that it allows me to, again, be grateful and privileged for living in the United States. But it also calls me to use that privilege for good and not just be dormant with that privilege. I think that the takeaway from this entire pod, like from this episode of the podcast, is that although you may be privileged to grow in the United States, there are people across the country who are not as fortunate as you. So the real question is, it's not really about, oh, do they have healthcare or not? Yeah, it's important. But the real question you have to be asking yourself is, are you going to be dormant with that privilege? Or are you going to use that privilege to create change? Exactly. And that's kind of like, I, you know, talk about this podcast to anyone. It's kind of the, one of the reasons why I did start it. Because I like to think I know a good amount of information. But at the end of the day, there's so much stuff I don't know. And talking to, you know, you, Asil, Cheney, Tech, I learned four different countries about their healthcare and what needs to be changed and how I can help. So, thank you again. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, my pleasure. It was lovely yeah. speaking to you. Okay, um, that marks the fourth episode of my podcast. It was really nice hearing Sebastian's perspective and learning so much about Haiti as I did not know the detrimental effects of the hurricane back into like i said uh, every episode will be a different country and a different perspective so please join me again for our fifth episode hope you enjoyed enjoy your day